Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Tavern Talks. Here we take a break from it all and have an open conversation with titans from the world of gaming, Web3, and AI to discuss all things that may pique our interest. I'm your host, David Johansson, creator of Blocklords, founder and CEO of Medicking Studios and the Seascape Network. Today, we have a very special guest with us who is here to talk about the future of Web3 gaming. Uh, Jeremy Paris from Delphi Digital, Venture Associates, and one of the first institutional believers in block lores. Well, can, can we call you an institution, Jeremy? How, how would you react to that? Yeah, I suppose you could call us an institution. Um, I mean, we got a few different things going on over at Delphi. So um, I don't know what you would call us exactly because we got the research, <laughs> we got the labs, we got ventures. So institution seems like a fitting name anyways. Yeah, it, sound, it sounds powerful enough. Well, thanks, thanks a lot for being here, Jeremy. Uh, I'm sure the a lot of the audience would love to learn a bit more about you, who you are, what's your story. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Um, appreciate you having me here, David. Always an absolute pleasure to get a chat with you in any sort of formats, whether it be here, IRL, or whatever the case may be. But um, yeah, no, my name is Jeremy Paris. Uh, as David mentioned, I'm a venture associate over at Delphi Digital. Um, and as I alluded to, we do a few different things over at Delphi. We do a bit of investing, we have our research platform, and then we also incubate and build projects as well as our own products. Um, I obviously am hyper-focused on gaming over there, hence uh, why we were one of the first believers in Block Lords. Um, but it was an easy thing to believe in, uh, A, because it's a great game, and B, because uh, I'm a certain kind of nerd, and you just really ticked all my nerdy boxes when it comes to the game itself. Um, so yeah, I, I've had a bit of a, a strange, meandering path to get to where I am today talking to you, David, but I think what I really enjoy about the field we work in is um, it seems like there's never a cut and sort of straight origin story. Um, people who seem to have been in Web3 or back in the day wasn't even Web3, it was just crypto, always have strange sort of onboarding experiences. Um, as for me, to make a long story short, I've always been a like, lifelong gamer, always been super into gaming to the point where you know, me and dad were going to comic cons and literally designing our own board games and that type of thing. Um, so grew up very immersed in it and was lucky enough to have a, a nerdy father to really foster that um, addiction, so to say. And it, it's weird. I'm sure you have, could relate to this as well. It's weird when you look back at all the sort of connecting dots that brought you to where you are today, because it wasn't only the dad, like, for example, my uncles were like really big into like baseball card collecting, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, which is like proto NFTs. It's like really understood sort of like the, the collecting and the scarcity and this and that. And like, it's always weird to look back on it and be like, oh, well, no wonder all of this stuff really resonates with myself. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, a quick, quick TLDR anyways on, on some of the things I do, I guess. The last thing I'll say actually is uh, what I do over at Delphi other than believe in projects after uh, we would make the investments. Um, it would usually be myself that would jump in with the team and just help think through things or help design things. And usually those things having to do with either the game, the game mechanics or any sort of like Web3 or token component embedded within the gaming ecosystem, let's call it. So always a different day anyways when it comes to that and and how did you uh, make that jump? Because I, I think there's a lot of people who, you know, start off, you know, like me as well, like as a nerd, you know, you start off collecting things. For me, it was, you know, World Cup 94 uh, soccer stickers, you know, football, as we call it here in Sweden. And uh, it's always I, I've, I've explained or if I haven't talked about it on this podcast, I've definitely talked about it in the AMAs, like my path from, you know, wanting to study film to getting into gaming. 
But I'm curious, what was your path from like, okay, I'm a consumer of these types of, you know, entertainment and, and, and these types of uh, collectibles. And I'm now getting into actually an industry where I'm helping create uh, those, uh, for those games essentially. Yeah, man. Um, again, I think, I think serendipity would be the word I would use uh, to, as maybe sort of like a headline here. Um, maybe just taking a step back, like besides the dad and, and the sort of environment growing up, um, I used to live over in Ireland. I'm in, back in the States now. And over in Ireland, um, my family runs like this activity and adventure center, but my brother-in-law was good friends with uh, an anonymous figure. But this anonymous figure was a good friend of ours, was a friend of my friend, uh, brother's in college. And he used to come over to our place and we would play Dungeons and Dragons drink beer, and then afterwards talk about the metaverse. And this was back in like 2014, 2015. Huh. And uh, this individual was like incredibly early on in like the Ethereum ecosystem. And since he first got in, I think, I can't remember the date, but even earlier than we were playing those Dungeons and Dragons sessions, he was just completely immersed in it and has been to this day. Um, and it's no wonder he's like one of the wealthiest and most influential people I know in the space as well, because <laughs> I guess it's time in the industry, right? So anyways, got exposure there. And so me and my brother-in-law, Sonny, who also works in the industry now, he's over at Consortium 9 working with Noor. Um, we just ate it up. And it was really fascinating. And back then in the day, besides being a nerd, also really into history. History is kind of my first love um, when it comes to like academics. And I think what caught me about Block, the promise of blockchain technology wasn't like the money, this or that. The other thing is the immutable aspect of it, I think, is the first thing that really caught me to where if you were to take this type of technology and then like begin sort of like applying it to history, like what the implications in history would have been, that's what really caught me initially. Um, so that married with um, these deep conversations, like on the cutting edge of technology with our friend who shall not be named here. Um and like the stars were starting to line up and um, to make a long story short, once again, my entry point other than personally dabbling and, and uh, when I say personally dabbling, not really messing with like altcoins or that type of thing, just learning about it. Right. Cause it was fascinating. And also I was poor. Um, <laughs> so it couldn't be, couldn't be dabbling necessarily. Um, one day on Twitter, I saw a tweet go out from one of our founders, Anil. Uh, saying, hey, we're hiring an intern class. And I thought, hey, that sounds cool. And oddly enough, my uh, friend also was working at Delphi Digital at the time. Um, mm. And so without telling him, I kind of got like a uh, was going to apply for the internship. I got the internship and then told him about it, um, which he was pretty impressed with, to say the least. And then I guess the rest <laughs> is kind of history. Um, got through the internship and then came on as an analyst uh, almost two and a half years ago now and um just been kind of living the dream ever since so again not like a, a straightforward path meandering uh serendipitous but you know thank goodness because this is i mean quite frankly yeah. for me the dream job anyways <laughs> yeah and it also shows you know the the importance of networking and always having an open mind and you never know where that contact's going to come where that actually ends up helping you uh, get your foot through the door uh, at, you know, your dream job, essentially. Uh, I want to jump on to one of the points that you mentioned, because that is not often I speak to other history buffs. Uh, I'm obviously mm. a big history buff. So Block Lords has a lot of medieval uh, inspiration. I worked on the World War II games, Liberators before. 
uh, I worked on Crusader Kings. So I, I obviously <laughs> have a deep love of history. And yeah, I mean, when you compare like what's happening right now with blockchain, with, you know, Bitcoin, with, uh, with Web3 also, or the internet even, what's, what similarities with other historic events? Do you compare it with like, you know, the birth of banking uh, during the Renaissance or do, do you have other points that you're kind of referring to when you look at similar breakthroughs in history? It's a really good question. Um, oh, which way to take this? Because I could <laughs> one of two paths. Um, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll do a little bit of both. So first of all, like when I was thinking about it in relation to history, I, I don't know if I was like comparing it to like, oh, this is as big as like the Gutenberg press or something like that, right? I was thinking more like when you think about this, immute, like it, the immutable nature of storing this um information in this type of technology right which is the blockchain the immutable aspect means like it's it can't be falsified it can't be um lied about right we have one source of truth to point to and for me like what that translated to in my head is like well that would have helped a lot with propaganda that would have helped a lot with fake news that would have helped a lot with the distribution of information and a lot of other kind of like touch points in history so like would would have like Goebbels, for example, in World War II have had such a strong sort of like propaganda machine if everything was on the blockchain. Now that's like the silliest, most extreme example I could make, but like, you know, apply it to other things. So like it was kind of that type of thing. It was like, oh wow, this is really powerful as a concept, as a piece of technology and what it unlocks and enables. Right. Um, does that make sense? Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I mean, you can look at it in another way, too, which is uh, looking less at history, but maybe more towards the future, which is uh, there's a lot of concerns about how easy it is to lose digital material. Right. Uh, yeah. We we have, you know, there's a, a an archive, so to say, you know, we, we have a pretty good grasp of everything, you know, since since the essentially since the Renaissance. Right. The Dark Ages, definitely a lot of info is lost. There's pretty good records from the Romans and from antiquity, so on. Yeah. But there, there's this worry now that since we've moved on to exclusively digital content, right, whether it's movies, whether it's music, whether it's anything, it's all digital. And there's way yeah. less there's way less art like professional archiving taking place for this type of content. And, and you know, historians are pretty worried that, you know, future generations are going to have way less things available than we think because it's so easy to access right now. But. You know, if people stop paying for their servers, if people just chuck it in the bin, even in my laptop, you know, so there's so much info I've deleted because I'm like, ah, this is not useful. But, you know, it might be useful to a historian a thousand years from now. And the fact that things on chain, hopefully, will get maintained forever. As always, that's a good question. What happens when the last node, you know, when the last miner yeah. stops working? But, uh, is yeah, it. is this going to be a better source of records, both for financial transactions and of course for information because there's a lot of messaging that happens through blockchains this this conjured while you're saying that like conjured this image in my head like how when we were kids we used to like pull out like the shoe box and like look through the photos it's like our children our grandchildren yeah. will like pull out their old laptop as you say to like and crack it open see if it still turns on do i still have the right charger and adapter for this thing yeah. to look at the old photos right like that's that's so strange, but like the nostalgia, and I'm sure this has happened to all of us when we're like cleaning out an old drawer, moving, and we find that first generation iPod or something like that, you know, or like yeah. you you do find that old laptop and you're going through old pictures and you're like, oh man, I forgot about this. Um, so it's, yeah. it's kind of kind of str strange to see how society evolves like that. But um, 
if if you would like, David, I don't know if I've talked about this publicly or on a podcast before, but going back to the history thing, one of the theses yeah. I've been working on um, has to do marries quite nicely with history and some of the things I've been kind of wrestling with. Um, I could unpack I could unpack that a little bit if you'd like me to. I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, so for uh, well, you know me, David. For those of uh, for people who don't know me. Um, I think a lot about tokenomics. And when I say tokenomics, I mean using Web3 technology to engineer mechanisms and economies and, you know, to, to unlock things with a, not, within not only gaming, but other types of products in Web3, right? But I don't like the word tokenomics. I kind of like framing it as like token engineering, right? Because it is very much an engineering problem every time, just like game design is. I think that's why game designers latch on to like tokens so quickly because it's game designed by another name. And we kind of joke about it, but like all of Web3 is like one giant MMORPG, which even though it is a bit of a meme, like isn't completely untrue, right? So we use kind of tokens to um, engineer that game and engineer that experience, whether it be incentives or other things, right? Now, I, what I want to do is like zoom in on kind of definitions of tokens and then kind of walk back in history and see what I believe like the importance of this new technology is, right? So kind of going back to your question. So I think if we, um, we have to kind of define a couple things. One, first of all, token, right? Um, historically speaking, I think the way we've kind of defined or thought about tokens has been very financial in nature um, because a lot of the things in Web3 have been financial in nature and sort of like the evolution of the technology kind of started off from being very financial because a lot of TradFi people kind of onboarded into the space early on. And like we saw the birth of DeFi and it wasn't until later that we saw things get a little bit more creative with NFTs and now Web3 gaming. But I wanted to find a token as just a piece of information or something brought on chain. Right, whether that be an ERC twenty, whether that be in like NFT, whether it be like a non-transferable, like soulbound token, just a piece of information or a piece of data brought on chain, right? And then, um, what can tokens act as, right? Like tokens can act as currencies, and a currency is a way to sort of surface a current or flow of value, right? And then I'll, I'll pause here in a moment. So you use tokens to surface flows or currents of value, and then assign something to them, right? Whether it be like a dollar sign, a numerical value, scarcity, whatever the case may be. And then my final point I'll make here before kind of walking back in history is um, there are different types of currencies other than just financial currencies, right? Reputation is a currency, clout, uh, trust, respectability, fear, right? These are all social currencies or currencies. And I think up until now, they've been a lot less unquantifiable and intangible because we haven't had the technology to identify them as well up until this sort of modern age. And like we've begun doing this even with like social media and that type of thing. But now we're, I think we're kind of taking the next step forward. No, it totally makes sense. And that's something that definitely we've been exploring a lot, which is, you know, NFTs are often seen just as collectibles or as investment vehicles or or as, you know, art, which may have sentimental value. But I, I've always been interested, especially for gaming, like how do you make NFTs actually represent your your experience yeah. and your skill? 
right within a game and i think you're definitely all along those lines and that that's what's interesting about tokenization yes there is the financial the incentives aspect of it but what are other things that can be tokenized can it be your reputation can it be fun can it be experience uh, th those things are are really interesting for sure and what does it look like or mean to tokenize those things you just mentioned inside of your ecosystem like fun or experience or um curation or whatever the case may be and that's where like the engineering begins right how do we represent that in this digital space as opposed to the meat space right yeah. and that's why i love my job because it's always a new problem and and i find when you engineer or kind of build something um maybe engineering is like too pompous a word like when you're solving this problem yeah. the more you drill down onto it the more you encounter problems and that's where like the breakthroughs and like true learning in my experience has always been and like that's the exciting part you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to solve this. And then you figure out that workaround. And you're like, oh, I just learned something, right? Now, I think what's particularly exciting when it comes to this blockchain technology, let's call it, if we look at history, is I think, history, I think society and currency kind of evolve side by side, right? Mm. As we roll back the clock now, what do I mean by that? I think that if we look all the way back in like the days where we were living on islands and using shells as a currency, right? We use shells as a currency because shells are scarce. They're hard to find. They're like non-fungible, right? And like it would take time away from surviving to go and gather these mm. things up to, to be able to exchange value, right? So we as a mm. small society like that type of currency worked for us in that circumstance on other islands. It was literally giant rocks with a hole in the middle of them because you couldn't move them. They were hard to get there. Like the currency kind of matched the society and you could kind of like watch as like society evolves, currency evolves next to it. Right. Like in native American culture, for example, uh, there was the practice of counting coup, right? A lot of people aren't familiar with counting coup. It's like when you see the big, the pictures of like the Indians with a giant feather headdress, each one of those feathers was coup, right? And the way you counted mm. coup was as a um, person in their society, like do a brave act or do an act that was worthy of notation, right? Whether it be killing an enemy, touching an enemy, um, or even just doing something brave or like worthy for your tribe. And that's how you count coup. So when you see those giant mm. like feather headdresses, that means like, oh, that was like one bad like mofo right within the tribe it's sort of like the same as like a general wearing all those stars on his chest right and then fast forwarding eventually we get to sort of like industrialization of society and we shift from like um trading crops to a gold standard and start using metals and then we shift from metals into a uh, like banks and like exchanging paper currencies and we i think it's a you couldn't really argue the point are becoming a more and more digitally native society. So when you think about it with that sort of framework, to me, it's no wonder that we have developed digital currencies and like very native sort of like digital technology being blockchain and web three and tokens to allow us to kind of continue evolving and finding um, ways to exchange value or to identify like currencies as a digitally native species with this new digitally native technology, right? So I think it's a fun way to look at Web3. And then it also just gives like an interesting framework to, okay, how do we mirror the real world in the digital world in other ways, other than just mm. financially, right? Um, 
yeah, again, I don't know if that makes sense, but I guess that's like my long answer it, to how I think about it in relation to history. It, it definitely makes sense. And to kind of maybe play the devil's advocate here, or, or maybe it's more like our, our own, my own thinking here on, on something that we've seen in the space, like how, if it can be monetized, right, which is essentially something that blockchain provides, how do we, because maybe not all reputation should be monetized, right? Like the Indian warlord with, you know, massive coup could cash in his reputation, right? It was, he, it, it was for his social status. It was to, sh to show his standing society. But we kind of have, I think this, or maybe it's just a transition or it's a growing pain where a lot of users in the community expect to monetize everything, which might not be for the benefit of the project. So I guess my question is, is is almost is blockchain maybe too monetized to kind of reach that next stage where actually everybody wants to use it can we overcome our digital monkey brain to avoid like pure value extraction and do something a little mm -hmm. bit more interesting than just like the the financial stuff um yeah i think i think yes again because i think like that's very um very zoomed into the current moment, right? Mm. Um, and like when we look at like, and especially gaming, right? Gaming is like all, for the most part. Um, mm. And I'm sure this will change in the coming years because we're about to see a ton of great games actually launch like your own, right? Um, I think it's going to be a cultural thing, first of all. Like, and then when I say cultural, I mean like actually just seeing some of these use cases and, and examples out in the open and wild because a lot of people aren't thinking along these lines or even thinking this is possible or just aren't maybe as deeply as familiar or intimate with the way we can engineer things, let's say. And so the only way they have to think about sort of um, Web3 at the moment is through a more financial lens. So we have to kind of build and provide those other lenses for people, right? Um, but I do think it's possible. And I think it introduces a lot of like really interesting things, um, especially like for um, guilds. And when I say guilds, I don't mean like um, YGG or anything like that. I mean, like when you were playing World of Warcraft, like the guilds you used to be in, right? Like I think yeah. guilds, for example, or even governance really needs different types of tools other than financial tools right. to build more solid structures and hierarchies so that you could have like a social um, system or be able to like fluidly like move through like social hierarchies or like um, just hierarchies in general. Right. And you need other mechanisms to do that other than um, dollar signs and NFTs. Right. Of our financial. Yeah. Let's, rather. Yeah. Let's actually I, I'd, I'd love to double click on both those things. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention both now just so I don't forget it. But one is definitely the guilds. And how do you see that difference between guilds in the Web3 space and then guilds in the Web2 space Th that are two very different things? Right. And mm -hmm. I have experience with both those things as well. And I'm, I'm quite excited about both ideas, even though. Obviously, Web3 guilds are going through a, a revolution right now and kind of they're all redefining themselves a different way, uh, yeah. which would be interesting. And then the second thing is DAOs. Uh, I'll just mention to the both questions now. Um, yeah. How do we increase engagement in DAOs? Because even, you know, a huge project like Uniswap and Maker, uh, they, they really don't have that much DAO activity. You know, there's not there's not enough people voting consider, compared to how many people are just buying and hoping it goes up. So, yeah, those two topics are very interesting. Let's start with the guilds. Yeah, well, I think they're actually, I think the, I think the answer applies to both questions. Um, so it's great that mm -hmm. you brought up both of them at the same time. 
I think at a high level, and then we'll zoom in, it's, and this is going to sound so cliche and stupid, <laughs> but like, I think at a high level, it's tooling, right? Um, mm. Because right now, all guilds and sort of DAOs have as tooling is like either like literally Excel spreadsheets or uh, these financial tokens, right? Yeah. So what other types of things would be really helpful for them, right? What's really cool is a token or what's really cool with a token is that if you have a token, then you could gate things within your ecosystem, right? Whether mm. your ecosystem be a guild or a DAO. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, if you have a thing of value within your ecosystem, let's call it governance. Let's call it um, a special NFT or a special quest line or a club, right? Um, or a guild. That is a thing of value. Now, you could gate that thing of value and use tokens or a combination of tokens to be able to access that thing of value, right? Now, mm. right now, the only types of tokens, for the most part, we have within our ecosystems are financial tokens. Again, it's really hard to create a sort of proof or a certain type of proof with purely financial tokens. Governance is a great example of that, which I think applies more to the to the DAOs, right? So like, if you want to be a governor, or right now our current proof of governor usually has to do with like, mm. how big is your bag? And that yeah. translates into how many votes you have. And then people go, oh, but we, ha we have quadratic voting. It's like, dude, but that still doesn't work. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a bad, mm. A, it's a bad mechanic. And B, it's just like, the incentives don't make sense. Um, because yeah. you want your biggest bag holders to be your governors. That's a horrible proof of governor in my opinion yeah. so how can we yeah. create other what does a proof of governor look like within block lords or what is a proof of or maybe yeah. like king right would be a better word for block lords or like yeah. uh duke um or for a guild yeah. like what's a really interesting permissionless and trustless gate you could set up to allow guild members to just enter into your guild right maybe yeah. it's like you have to hold uh i'm just gonna use axie as an example here um yeah, why not? Maybe you have to hold like five axes and you have to hold mm. 10 AXS and you have yeah. to have done these quests through DQuest or another uh, sort of company to permissionlessly and trustlessly enter into like the first level of the guild or replace yeah. it with DAO, right? But, you know, what if that uh, person needs a scholarship? Well, let's set that aside for the moment, right? Um, mm. Okay, so now you're in the guild or you're in the DAO, then what is the next level? or um, uh, think of value look like within your ecosystem? Is it becoming like a higher rank? Maybe it splits off there. Maybe you could go like the, the collector or the creator route, right? What do those yeah. two different like uh, pathways look like within your ecosystem? Where are the gates there? How are you seeding your ecosystem with different types of tokens and currencies to allow people mm. to unlock those different things within your ecosystem and travel their different types of path? Um, last thing I'll say here, and I'll throw it back over to you, if this was like, and, and this is where I think game design kind of marries into Web3 design, because if we think about this in a gaming framework or a gaming context, this is just like visualizing a skill tree in God of War or Assassin's Creed, you know, to get to Kratos's big, bad, uh, you know, blade attack, you have to go through all these steps and do all these things and gather all these resources and um, do all these quests, right, to unlock all the different levels to get to that final thing. But you could do that with your blades, you could do that with your axe, you could do that with Atreus's bow, 
maybe you're going to put more mm-hmm. emphasis in Atreus and Kratos, right? Or in World of Warcraft, same thing. You become a tank um, and you're really good at, um, I don't know, harvesting boar skins um, and different types of skins. And so, and you're a cool guy. So those three different things are good enough to get you into that guild. That's hard to get into, right? So you have a bunch of different types of currencies there. Now with those types of currencies, with blockchain as a technology in the background, it just makes it, I think, a little easier, permissionless, trustless, and robust with that underlying technology as opposed to, I guess, older technology, right? Governance should be simple, right? Like, I mean, humans have been doing it for 2,000 years, but then when you zoom in on any democracy, you see that it's always been extremely messy, extremely litigious, extremely contentious between all parties involved, right? And, and that's what's so complicated when you're thinking, okay, how do I build my DAO or how do I set up my governance system for my token or for my game? It doesn't really matter. Uh, obviously, it has different incent- or different things to think, keep in mind, but it's really complicated, right? Because if you do, okay, let's do one wallet, one vote. Yeah, well, it's very easy to create fake wallets, right? And people do create fake wallets, put a little bit of token in there and boom, now they've got a vote. Very easy to influence elections that way. Uh, or votes that way. Same with, you know, like, as you mentioned, if if you got a whale who holds all the tokens, you put them up for a vote. Oh, I'm going to vote for the thing that's going to keep me getting more tokens, right? And so yeah. that's something we've been thinking about. But the, the one thing that's very clear, uh, we've been doing a lot of testing with DAOs, uh, both with Seascape and with Metakings. Uh, people love having a voice. People love voting. People love being heard. And And what we really think about deeply is, okay, how do we create systems where, your reputation, your time and game. Yes, how many assets you own should be important too, but it shouldn't be the only important thing. And most importantly, how dedicated you are. All of those things should matter in how you structure a DAO. And uh, you mentioned some great examples, right? Like putting quests, putting hold requirements, putting asset requirements. But then you get the, the biggest problem in Web3, which is each step turns away a user, right? Each step and the more steps you have, the more users you're going to turn away. So what I'd really love to find are ideas like how do we build a DAO that's actually user-friendly and that's fun and that's rewarding without being too limiting and then then ending up with kind of what we have with a lot of these DeFi DAOs, which is just very low participation rates. Yeah. No, dude, you're you're bringing up like really, really good points. I think, well, a couple thoughts. I think one is like, it's it's a lot easier for me to talk very abstract about it, but it's different for you because you actually have to build the thing, right? Um, like you're, and those are all the points you're trying to make. But I think a lot of the points you're also making are like, um, and this, this is gonna sound kind of hand wavy or like technological questions, right? Um, and I think are things that get solved for, right? Because like right now, yeah each step kind of turns away a user, but that might not be mm. true once we have a really good wallet solution, right? Yeah. Where like, you're not always signing transactions. You're not always doing this. Like it just happens like cookies in your browser yeah. happen or whatever, yeah. whatever, or whatever the correct example is. Right. And to your point as well, it's like, I think, and I think this goes back to the lens thing, like our current lenses on where we're at in this current moment in time. Yeah. Um, I think everybody does or no, I would push back on everybody wants a voice. I think everybody wants a voice right now in Web3 because there's nothing else to do other than hang out yeah. in Discord. If you're like literally though, right? So your game, your meta game at the moment in Web3 is like social signaling or just talking shit on Discord because there's nothing else to do. You know, like did anybody playing World of Warcraft? Or a lot of people did, but how many people actually cared about 
being involved with game development. And if you did care and you got on the forms and then you, you know, like there was pathways for you to do that. Right. So I think once we have a more of an ecosystem with, um, and when I say ecosystem, I mean like web three ecosystem with like a lot of content and a lot of games and a lot of products, people are spending less time in discord on their soapboxes and hopefully more time playing the thing in the game. And then what's important, I think when it comes to governance is seeding that game or your ecosystem with different types of tokens. And I think the more tokens, and again, tokens being NFTs, ERCs, non-transferable things that are assigned to your wallet, right? Or soul bound things, the more you seed thoughtfully and intentionally your ecosystem with these different types of tokens, the more different kind of ways you could then gate that one vote, right? Um, what is the what is proof of citizen as opposed to tourist within block lords look like, right? Um, that type of thing. So I 100% agree that in this current moment, everything you said is like 100% true, but I think this stuff isn't actually that far off, right? Because um, yeah. there's a lot of great companies building like, like everything I just mentioned, like wallet solutions, um, the quests are just like the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to like reputation and like the most yeah. uh, skeuomorphic thing, let's call it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we all, I mean, it's again, it's kind of cliche to say like how quickly the space moves, right? Like even since we yeah. met, it's insane. Like yeah. <laughs> who would have thought, who would have thought AI would be where it's at today? You know what I mean? Like, it's just fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's changing so quickly and uh, you're totally right. And I think, I think it's also going to be important, like, how do you actually uh, categorize the different parts of the community? Because now everybody kind of get gets clumped into that, okay, this is the community, and the community wants this. But, you know, there's actually very different parts of the community. There's a community of, you know, game enthusiasts who want to help you make it get a better game. There's a community of LARPers who just want to role play as a lord or lady. There's a community of yeah. NFT traders who only care about volume and trading. And yeah, having like a very complex governance system and community system where all these people, you know, have a voice and also are able to interact and are able to kind of build a positive community together. Uh, yeah, I would love to see more tooling for that coming forward. Yeah, I love I love what you're pointing to there. You're kind of pointing to like Bartle's sort of player types there. And for like those unfamiliar yeah. in the audience with Bartle's player types is like there's this like really legendary game designer called Bartle, obviously. And he thought that you could pretty much classify any game into four different like or any game's player base into four different types of players. And like one was an adventure, one was like a socialite, one was like a killer. And I, I always forget what the fourth one was or something along those lines. Right. And then you could bucket players into these four different buckets and these four different buckets like to do four different things. So the adventurer, like more playing the game to adventure and explore and for the experience, socialite, pretty self-explanatory. That's the guy in World of Warcraft who's always hanging out next to the auction house, <laughs> jumping around. Right. Or like the killer, the, the guy hanging out at the auction house going, let's go outside the city walls so we could duel, you know what I mean? Or the guy playing PvP or whatever the case may be. Um, so going back to like seeding the ecosystem, if those are your four different buckets, how do you then like, like maybe the quest is important for the adventurer, right? And then that allows the adventurer to aggregate and build up tokens and associate them with themselves to signal that they are the adventurer. They might be like, and that's not important for the player as much as it is as it is for you, David, who goes, okay, here's all the adventures within my ecosystem. We could, we could tell that yeah. because they've kind of built that identity within the ecosystem. Now, how are we going to create X, Y, and Z for these people or like cut tailor make um, 
different pathways and experiences for these people. Now, I think even though the player might not understand that they are doing that, it's also really important for the player as well, because if you do this in a bunch of different games, you're slowly building up your decentralized identity, right? Your player reputation, your player identity. And then when you begin doing that, it's also advantageous for the player to not only own their assets, but it's also important for them to own and have their data associated with them so that they could uh, reap the benefits in the future as well for all their different actions and achievements in the past. And that could look like a bunch of different things, right? If I'm the best player in Block Lords or um, the best player in Alluvium, right? That might be important for when like Pokemon launches or you launch your second title, right? So you could maybe go in or be targeted by that game or that ecosystem and like kind of go in in the correct way. Or if a competitor comes into the ecosystem, right, David, like you could maybe go vampire attack their community um, based off of their player base or whatever the case may be. So I think it kind of goes both ways. Like even if the player doesn't know what's happening, it's also advantageous for them. And then there's like a lot of subtle things, even for like the developer, that's advantageous for you. And then in a perfect world, or not in a perfect world, because it's going to sound very VC now. I think this is like what Web3 native like advertising begins to look like. I think it's how you open up like a lot of Web3 native things and Web3 native advertising, once again, being good, because right now in our current advertising model, it's the, uh, the person selling your data that is the beneficiary. But if you own your data, again, that's a very strong narrative. That's a very strong thing for the player. If I own my data, who's monetizing that? Yeah. yeah, no, lots of great points. I definitely was going to mention about the, the four player archetypes. That that was a big inspiration for for Block Lords uh, with our, you know, farming, fight, rule, conquer. <laughs> we are really trying to build yeah. a game that covers all of those aspects. Uh, I was very, you know, rabid in the beginning when we started talking. I was like, no, farmers will farm, fighters will fight, rulers will rule. As we've gone through the development process, we've definitely begin, begin, uh, begun combining gameplay more and more because we feel, okay, to, in order to give as much as possible to our users and as, as much fun as possible we got to let them experience all the parts but then choose which one to focus on and spend a lot of time on but that's definitely you know my vision with block lords is build a game where a player can trade just trade if they want or just fight if they want or just rule if, they, if that's what they want to do and that we find different types of incentive and that's why i like your concept of hyper tokenization you didn't call it that but that, that's what i call it mm -hmm. which is essentially everything can be tokenized uh, but not necessarily for financial games, right? That, that's kind of the idea is like there, any, anything can be tokenized, but what, it, what that token means are different things depending on the game, depending on the user, depending on what the goal is uh, in the terms of the game design. Yeah. I'll leave that point aside because I think I've talked about that a lot before, but I will go on to the advertising and the data analytics part uh, because I think that's really interesting. And as yeah. we're prepping our open beta launch, We've been putting a lot of focus on, you know, data analytics, analyzing our users, who are our core users, what do they like doing, what do they spend time on, and then obviously creating a marketing strategy around that and targeting the right users, which everyone in Web3 knows it's extremely hard to get new users. So I'm curious, what are you seeing in the space that's interesting when it comes to user acquisition and data analytics? I think when it comes to the user acquisition part, I think... Not that it's getting easier, but I think slowly we're slow, like we're very slowly beginning to, to see the shift happen in more traditional spaces of people being a tiny bit more willing to have a conversation about Web3, if that makes sense, or like 
mess yeah. with it, right? Um, and, and again, everything I'm about to say is going to be also like very anecdotal uh, from what I've had other founders tell me. And I'd actually be curious of, of what you've experienced here, David, because huh. I remember actually two GDCs ago is when you guys had that awesome, huge booth. You were even saying that you were surprised how curious people were about it, right? Um, and so I've heard that same sort of like thing said, but like about Discord servers, like where people come in, they're like, hey, is this one of those NFT things? And then the community will say like, yes, but, and then they're like, okay, yeah, cool. You know what I mean? And like, I think streamers are getting a little bit more involved. And obviously like we just saw the big Zanga announcement. They just announced their sort of like um, web three flag that they're planting. And so little by little, this will kind of open up to sort of web two, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that doesn't answer your question. I guess that's just, uh, <laughs> to say, I guess that's prelude. to say that like, it'll get, yeah, prelude, it'll get easier. So other things I've been seeing though, like, uh, and some successful things are, um, streamers. I've seen a lot of streamers kind of come into the space. Um, I'll use a specific example here, which I think is cool. Um, was chatting with the Bornless, which is a really cool game. Um, for those of you who haven't heard of it, it's like a horror FPS um, game that's pretty sick. Um, not a portfolio company or anything, just a game I enjoy tracking and, and chat with them every now and then. Um, and they just recently launched their sort of steam page and they kind of hacked the algorithm right so i think they're literally like the number one wish listed game on steam right now and they did right. that just by like hacking the algorithm and when i say hack the algorithm i mean they like got all their friends and family to like go and like it like the first sort of hit and then like had some other sort of like guerrilla marketing techniques and the algorithm picked it up and now they're i think they've gotten like i don't know if i could say the number but a ton of wish lists and like Mm. um last few days right so like that was one really cool strategy i saw um as far as like the user, user analytics thing i haven't seen anything that's been deployed in a meaningful way yet and i just think that's because everything's still being built like um mm. i always screw up these guys' name and maybe you've heard of them there's a really cool company called like helica i think it's called that's like working with like yuga and um, a bunch mm. of other, I think like Azra and some other big names in the space, they have like great data analytics, another portfolio company. Um, DQuest has a lot of great analytics and provides sort of like soul bounds and questing technology. Uh, you guys have also worked with DQuest in the past, actually, um, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And then there's a bunch, like, there's like Soulbound and a bunch of other ones. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There hasn't been like any silver or golden bullets. It's just like very situational. And some of it's like a bit of luck. Some of it's like, a bit of this and that, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a great answer. I guess is what I'm saying for <laughs> your your data analytics. No, it's uh, it's definitely tricky, and it's even trickier in blockchain for from our experience because because what happens in blockchain is after a few years, uh, like we have behind us, uh, you you just end up with so much data. You have, you know, mil I think we're at, we're at millions of wallet connects. We're at uh, you know hundreds of thousands of NFTs minted, you know, across different projects and. Uh, it's extremely tricky to track and and to to know what to do with all that data. It's also quite resource intensive. And now with the game coming out, with Blockboards uh, coming out, we're getting a, a ton of in-game data, such as you know resources, how resources are flowing between the game. You know we're building heat maps to see how the resources are flowing between different players, how they're being spent, how they're being earned, the rate of earning. Uh, there's a lot of different, you know, factors that we've added. Uh, yeah, we've got a ton of game features I got to tell you about for, for Blockboard <laughs> that are that are coming out with the open beta. Um, but yeah, the, the hard part, I think, and this is a problem with Web2 companies I've been at before, is really how do you wrangle all the data and turn it into meaningful insights? And 
I get pitched pretty often on projects that are supposed to solve that, but I've never, I've never really mm. found the the one that can really help us with it. So yeah, if if you come across anyone, feel free to send them my way. Absolutely. No, I think it's a difficult problem. I guess if I was thinking about it, um, which I do think about it, and I was starting from scratch, I guess um, I definitely am a big big advocate of bringing on more tokens. No, but that's like not to say necessarily like tokenize everything, right? Because in a game context, mm. that'd be saying like. Um, you know, if you're in an open world, then everything should be an item you can pick up or whatever the case may be. Or like you yeah. should be able to do like anything in the sandbox, which just like is impossible, right? Um, yeah. Maybe that'll be possible with AI one day. Who knows? Unreal Engine 5 is getting pretty beefy. Um, yeah. But <laughs> putting that putting that aside, um, I guess if I was thinking about it and I was like beginning to tokenize things there, I'd begin like associating data points with like the to- things I was tokenizing, right? like uh, tagging certain data or indicators to different actions or behaviors within the ecosystem. Even if it was as simple as like this action and behavior represents um, an adventurer or like, you know, like breaking it into like those four different like uh, archetypes and then maybe adding on more archetypes moving forward, you know, just to begin like segmenting the player base. That's a horrible example, but like that would be like kind of the way I'd begin thinking about it is our like, um, what do these cosmetics NFTs represent? Well, if they're purchased from like a, just making up an example, as I go here, if they're purchased from a loot box, that probably indicates that this is a spender or like, um, I don't know, they say they have some sort of money and they got these three different cosmetics. One is more like uh, meant for PVP. One is more meant for like questing. One is more meant for this because of their stats. They put on the questing one or whatever the case may be, right? But again, that's like in a perfect world where you're starting from scratch with nothing. Um, I think there's going to be like a huge lift for a lot of companies and like, as you say, parsing through that data, right? Because um, it's like a big old spaghetti salad. And <laughs> how do you make sense of it? Um, I don't know. AI. Yeah, AI and also, <laughs> yeah, AI, AI will definitely help with that. We're, we've started using OpenAI in our in our data analytics, and it's it's very promising. Actually, it's giving us a lot of insights. It's giving us a lot Absolutely. of really cool graphs. Uh, that complemented with SQ, with SQL, you know, and just building good old dashboards. Uh, we're we're getting uh, not as far as I'd like, but definitely we're getting quite quite further than I would have expected. Uh, so so that's uh, that's exciting for sure, uh, and. I, I do think the the company in Web3 that really start using data in more sophisticated ways are going to come out as winners because that's what we saw with Web2, right? It's like it's the Scopely's and the Zynga's and the the Tencent's that came out ahead, you know, of the free-to-play wave. And, and those companies are all extremely sophisticated when it comes to analyzing, you know, their users and their behaviors and creating content that actually uh, keeps the users engaged and, and monetized over a long time. So I do think... In Web3, those companies that are putting the most folks on data are going to get further. So we're, I, I hope we're able to compete in that space. Yeah, I think focus on data and just focusing on use. <clears throat> maybe the punchline for me is like utilizing Web3 technology in a more native way as opposed to a more like mm. skeuomorphic way, right? And then like for yeah. those of listening, like skeuomorphism is like the concept of like, when old technology bleeds into new technology, because mm. that's the way our brain works. So an example of this that I always use is like um, on your desktop, your like trash bin is like where you go to delete files because that's very skewmorphic to understand because it's a trash yeah. bin. But that doesn't make sense in the context of like that being inside of your laptop. Or like if you remember back to like your first iPhone or mm. 
piece of tech, like the buttons were all very 3D in nature, right? Because yeah. we were used to 3D buttons and now everything is much more flat in design and minimalist hmm. because the skeuomorphic idea was 3D buttons because that makes more sense to us or like the skeuomorphic idea in sort of like NFTs and games was land, right? Hmm. Because in the real world, land is one of the most valuable things. So why wouldn't it be one of the more valuable things inside of the metaverse? Well, because land doesn't work that way within the metaverse, right? Um, It's like, it's actually scarce in the real world, but it's not necessarily scarce unless you make it artificially scarce um, inside of the metaverse, right? So I guess what what I'm excited to see is like, I think taking that data um, from web two into web three and making it like non-skeuomorphic and taking this technology and using yeah. it in a native way to build native web three things, as opposed to skeuomorphic, trying to like shoehorn old ideas into this. And that's not to say like th- those things don't belong here because it's like not one thing or the other. I think it'll all bleed hmm. together, but this technology unlocks new types of designs and new potential and new types of things. I think that's the thing that I get super, super excited about. So like data will be one of those identity, like hopefully it touches everything. Um, Not being like a web three maxi and not saying, you know, it's all going to be web three stuff because, you know, with gaming, I think in the next few years, gaming is just gaming once again. We're not making all these definitions, you know, it's like, Oh, are you a web three gamer? It's like, no, I fucking play games. Like, (laughs) so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be interesting. Like to see if that happens with AI, right? Is it going to be, Oh, are you an AI gamer? Mm. Cause I, I'm sure we're only a couple years, I think at most from just fully AI generated games. And I'm sure like in the beginning, there's going to be this whole, like, Oh, this is an AI game, you know, it's trash or whatever, or this game is using AI too much. Whereas these artist games, these indie games uh, are, are whole fully handmade and I enjoy them more, which is totally fine. Right. But yeah, the question is, when do we remove all of that and, and AI just becomes like this accepted technology, like where AI has helped to make every game in some way, shape or form. And ideally, you know, Web3 as well. There's a little part of Web3, whether it's the payment processing, whether it's the data analytics, whether it's the asset ownership, that's part of the game process. And we don't have these big separations of like, this is a Web3 game and this is a Web2 game. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully some of that will happen as well when the technology just kind of leads into the background right yeah um and it isn't so like prominent which is needed like we shouldn't be calling shit nfts you know what i mean it's just like let's start there (laughs) um and a lot of people do (laughs) to to be fair digital collectibles this that the other thing it's just like who like you know i think i guess what i'm trying to say is sometimes we get caught up in our own world a little bit too much yeah right and we have to kind of take a step back right just talk about the way you're building things because that's what excites people is the potential the promise what doesn't excite them is the the tribalism that's emerged from um, yeah. the, I guess, the the beast, right? Um, not to go like too philosophical or anything like that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I think uh, I think there's a great segue. Well, you kind of mentioned like this is the thing that makes you excited about what, what are, uh, could you kind of try to summarize what are the projects, the movements, the ideas? I, I, well, obviously we're in a very, we're deep in a bear market, right? So there's a lot of doom and gloom, but I, I like to try to stay positive and like, what you know, DeFi was obviously the big thing last bear market. Uh, gaming, you could say, has, has definitely evolved these last two years. Yeah. But yeah, what makes you excited about the next phase of Web3? Good question. Um, I mean, without rehashing everything we've talked about so far, all the things we've talked about up to this point are things that yeah. I think make me incredibly excited. And I think will also be things that help propel us into um, the next 
momentous upturn. It's not a word. Um, next upturn. <laughs> um, other things that really excite me, um, I guess at like a high level and just sort of like in general, is that even though we're in a bear market and there's been a lot of pain and a lot of companies having to kind of shut down, there's still a ton of people building and there's like still a lot of great ideas being hashed out behind the scenes. You know what I mean? And again, I think this is like stepping outside of ourselves. I think when we're in those discords and we're in this space, you know, it's been said a hundred times before, like time really drags and sort of like expands into like infinity. And it just seems like every, it's like we're like living in, in a dog's life, right? Everything's just so fast moving, but like there's still a ton of great stuff happening, which excites me, um, you know, talking founders and that type of thing. Um, for gaming, I think what excites me as well is like games take a long time to get built, but we're actually, I think, like getting really close to a lot of games actually coming out. And I think that's something that's been putting the brakes on, well, the gaming sector is that there's still no games you know what i mean yeah, and 100%. unfortunately that's also kind of like not killed some business models but it, it's kind of slowed down a lot of things because there was like a lot of really exciting things happening in the guild space and there still are but like a lot mm. of guilds like failed not because of anything other than like there was no games for them to do anything with right and so a lot yeah. of them had to pivot and this and that and the other thing like there was a lot of great ideas but they all had to pivot or shut down because there was no games, right? Um, mm. So I'm excited that we're finally, we'll see games beginning to emerge. I'm excited that, and maybe one of the things I'm really excited about is we're seeing like a ton of traditional game developers coming into the space every single day. You know, like we saw like CCP come in, we saw Zanga. Um, I'm not going to mention any others because I don't know what's announced and what isn't announced, but there's like a ton coming yeah. in, right? So it's like, yeah. It's again cheesy cliche, but when everybody's running to something, like we're just getting better and better talent all the time. Just like we saw happen yeah. with like DeFi, a lot of TradFi professionals were jumping off Wall Street and jumping from like traditional finance into decentralized finance. And we yeah. saw a lot of most brilliant minds begin building things there. And we're seeing the same thing happen in gaming. Yeah. It's just gaming games take a long time. And I still think that people don't appreciate how long and how hard games are to build yeah. that's something I, we talk about with the community a lot and that we do yeah. have to explain like making it is extremely hard and it, it is a hardest art form you know i come from film i've done theater work i've done a lot of games and really gaming is just so difficult and adding adding blockchain to it makes it even harder it's getting i'm sure it's getting easier like with a lot of the development tools and like um like with unreal and this and that and the other thing just like i would imagine filmmaking is um and i think too two YouTube channels I'd point people to to understand both like filmmaking and gaming is there's a really great series called Death of a Game on YouTube um, by Nerd Slayer and I literally just watched one last night about like Halo Infinite and it's like mm. Halo Infinite kind of like ain't shit and that's like one of the biggest franchises of all time so it's like watching yeah. those videos kind of like informs you on all the things that could easily go wrong in a game development yeah. process and like a lot of those things aren't like people being stupid. It's like this weird interconnected mess of like dominoes tipping, right? That eventually yeah. like tip the big domino. And then there's another channel that like kind of shows like how far filmmaking has come. Um, and that's this channel called Corridor Digital. It's like these group mm. of guys out in LA that like are just always pushing sort of like the limits of what filmmaking can do. And it's crazy to see 
their journey over the last like decade um which is like a group of like five friends essentially right so yeah. i guess they're like on both sides of the spectrum but um yeah it's it's a it's a difficult task man i i don't envy your your position david i i, I like sitting on this side of the table a little bit more sometimes you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, and it's, I mean, it's it's hard, but it's also you know extremely rewarding and fun, and uh, it is the the hardest art form, you know, and that that's what drew me to it. It's like, oh wow, here's here's movies and theater and music, and and you take it all together and you add code to it and you add developers to it who are you know <laughs> the wizards of the modern age, uh, and and it's getting easier, it's getting better, you know, even in the last year, just with what what we're able to do with concepting for mid with your mid journey. Uh, using ChatGPT, a lot of project management tools we've been using, it's getting so much easier. And like you said, you know, Unity and, and Unreal. Like I, I never knew how to code until I got mm. into Unity back in 2017. And the, the fact that now a kid can pick up Unity and learn it in, in, a, in a few weeks is pretty incredible. And that's why we are going to see a lot more content. Uh, and yeah, to echo kind of what you were saying about the future of the space, definitely we're going to start seeing great games. You know, I mean, I, I take a lot of pride in what we've done with Block Lords. That's coming out this year. There's other games like, you know, Fractal, Godzilla in the space, many more that I'm in mean, my pet hooligan. I know you're a big fan of. Uh, their game looks great. I played it a few months ago. And uh, so we're going to start to see this first wave. And then you could say that's going to be the first wave of like, you know, maybe not AAA, but AA quality, high quality games. You know, these, these, are, these are already incredibly hard to pull off and those are all going to be native web3 some way right like they didn't just get the nft tacked on they actually designed systems with web3 in mind and then we're going to get yep. the second the second wave which is going to be like you said the ccps the bigger better more well-funded studios uh but they're still you know what they raised 40 million 50 million some of them but grand theft auto took what 250 million to build <laughs> and so you're still talking about baby budgets and the expectations because there's so much money in crypto is still that level right so there's yeah. definitely going to be like kind of this equilibrium uh, this balancing of expectations which versus what's actually possible but i think we're starting to get there you know our community is definitely very much on board of like yeah games are tough there's going to be bugs but this is promising that's promising we want to see this yeah. cool we make that happen and this dialogue between community and and, and game developers is going to keep improving i think uh one part of them because you you brought that to up that topic as well and uh, I think entertainment and Web3 are going to start uh, going hand in hand more and more. Uh, you're seeing, you know, the, the writer strikes, the sag after strikes, uh, write very, you know, legitimate claims. And they're threatened by, you know, AI and they're being treated badly by streaming platforms. Uh, that's definitely something that, that, you know, affects their livelihoods. But with Web3, there's actually going to be a way for them to build, you know, they already have their own community, so they don't even need you know, these actors, these writers, they have their fans, they have their their audience. They're going to be able to, you know, create content specifically for that audience or possibly, you know, monetize the, their audience by giving exclusive content directly. And maybe, you know, with AI and 3D generated content, you're able to actually create. So, so you know, like the studios are very cocky right now. They're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we, we can wait. We can wait the writers out. We can wait the, the, the actors out. AI gets better every day. We can replace them. But Yep. If those writers and actors are actually able to use AI to do what the studios do, then actually the studios are in trouble, you know, and they're going to have to uh, to catch up. So I, I think, web, you know, and I was pretty early on Web3 and gaming, you know, 2017, that's when I got in the space. Uh, I think entertainment's going to be the next big thing. And then, yeah, def add DeFi to that. So you take gaming, you take entertainment, you take the ability to build huge franchises with small teams. 
and then you add DeFi to that and you add, you know, financing, uh, venture debt, you know, uh, you, you add maybe things like cashier's checks. Like we, you know, DeFi was very institutional or it was very based on institutional trading ideas. I think that's going to get more and more democratized as well, whereas more nor normal non-degen people are actually going to be able to access DeFi. Sorry, my turn yeah. to ramble, but ho hope all of that makes sense. No, it makes a ton of sense. I think you make a, a ton of really interesting points there. One being it's like toward the end there talking about DeFi, entertainment, all these different, like, let's just call them verticals. It's like for yeah. every one of those verticals, you have to build piping and electricity and plumbing and all this stuff behind the scenes for that vertical to exist. And then like those verticals are going to start merging, right? So like DeFi is talking about similar problems that we're talking about here in gaming right like wallet solutions this that, and the other thing like as we begin engineering the things we're like oh shit we're missing that tool now i gotta go build that tool and then we build the thing and we have all these tools and all this plumbing and we've built the machine right it's yeah. like building the machine for the machine to actually work is like the really hard part but once you kind of like build these different layers of foundation it allows you to do more it's like why in civilizations you start off in the Stone Age and then go to the Bronze Age and then go to the Iron Age and then eventually you're building rocket ships, right? You don't build rocket ships overnight. To get the iPhone, first you have to build all the, um, you have to build chip infrastructure. You have to be able to, you have to unlock chips. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to unlock yeah. cellular technology. You have to unlock all these technologies to get to the iPhone, to get to that unlock. Same thing with the Model T, right? You need the industrial revolution to happen for the Model T to be possible, right? And yeah. all these different types of things. So to your point, I think that's what we're seeing like happen. With entertainment, I think it's gonna be interesting. Um, I wonder how much entertainment, or rather, I wonder how much gaming is going to merge with other types of entertainment and how many things are just mm -hmm. gonna be built in Unreal or like in game engines or like these different types of things because all, we've already seen it begin to happen with things like The Mandalorian and um, all these other like types of TV shows where so much of it is being done in game engines because they're getting that yeah. good. So I think it'll be interesting to see how much gaming merges with other types of entertainment. I don't know what that'll look like in music other than thinking of like the Fortnite examples of like concerts in the metaverse, yeah. but I think that's never going to replace like IRL concerts. Um, and then I guess last last point I'll make here is... And going back to like, I guess, maybe tying a couple things together here about like excitement and where things are going. Imagine, and I wish people talked about this more. Imagine all the kids right now in Fortnite messing around with like UEFN, like the Unreal Fortnite engine, and who are messing yeah. around with like Unreal Engine. Because like a lot of this stuff is becoming no code. <clears throat> Another word yeah. for no code is lowering the barrier of entry for creatives, oh, yeah. creators, right? Yeah, so like even if, if they need to code now, they've got GPT too. So they can even get into the coding part uh, without too much hassle. They got GTP. They got all these open databases. They got Discord communities they could jump into. They got YouTube. It's like, dude, if I was like an eight-year-old right now, like when I was eight years old, between like eight and I guess now, if you would have replaced like Star Wars Pod Racer on the N64 with like Roblox <laughs> yeah. and Fortnite, right? Like... I would be, I would be making games by the time I was 20, like without yeah. question, you know what I mean? Definitely. Whether they be indie or whatever the case may be, 
So now imagine you have this whole generation of young people coming up who will be digitally native, who will be able to make games, who like won't have all this like baggage that we have when it comes to thinking about Web3 because yeah. this is just going to be native to them because it's... Well, and they'll, like, be, they'll be somewhat financially savvy because they'll have, you know, the finance TikTok, the crypto TikToks, you know, not they're definitely not financial advice. Nobody should take it too seriously. But I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. when I got out of high school, I had no financial advice at all. You know, I mean... I could have sought it out, but I didn't. But now I think it's way more around. So it's like you say, they, they can code, they can research, they can learn anything with GPT. And obviously, you got to have the right mindset. And, and a lot of people are not going to follow that path. But I, I agree yeah. that the tooling that's available for kids right now to make games and create, you know, their own financial systems, which is pretty wild when you think about it. Uh, it's all there. So, so just someone's going to piece it together. And how far, like, and how far away is that? Like that generation being here, like some of them here. three years, five years, 10 years yeah. before they like, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I don't know. I think so many of the things that we've, we've even touched upon in this, in this podcast, that's why sometimes it's like cool to zoom out, you know, and yeah. just be like, well, like it's not, not the future. Right. But it's like, it's a part of the future. Because that's something that makes me cringe is when people are like, Web3 is the future. I'm like, dude, technology and being digitally native is the yeah. future. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, no yeah. matter what you call it. like So build yeah. for that. Great words. I think on that note, we can, we can end the pod. Uh, th- thank you so much for coming, Jeremy. It's an honor. I-, I hope our fans enjoyed this conversation. I certainly did. And please come back anytime. Thank you so much, David. Always a pleasure, my man. Cheers. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.